Welcome to PwC's weekly accounting podcast series. I'm Heather Horn. I have with me today John Bishop and Pat Durbin, two leaders in the national office. We're going to go behind the curtain in the national office, as well as share some helpful hints on resolving complex accounting issues. John, Pat, thanks so much for being here today. I know from working with both of you, both in the national office and then when I was an engagement partner, that you are going to have a lot of valuable hints for our listeners in terms of dealing with accounting issues as well as dealing with the national office. So and they're both looking at me very skeptically, <laughs> but I promise you they do. So why don't we start things off by talking about when someone might call us. I know, you know if you're dealing with an accounting issue, Typically, we'll start with the client, engagement team will get involved, sometimes other advisors will get involved, but then at some point in the chain, someone may call us. So when does that happen? Yeah, well, I think, Heather, um, obviously, it starts with what's happening in the business. Um, obviously, you know, we account for, you know, business transactions. So really, those are the trigger. Ultimately, you know, you talked about who gets involved, client, engagement team, you know, when to involve us. We'll get a little bit more into that. But a lot of times, it's a significant or unusual transaction. So applying existing gap to a new transaction or sometimes we have new gap, right? We've just been through that over the last uh, few years. So applying new gap to the existing set of transactions. Sometimes it could just be an evolution in the business. I mean, we see that quite a bit as companies get into new areas of business. Now they're encountering transactions that maybe a new type of gap or a different application of gap is applicable to them. You know, and the process of like when to come to the national office, I mean, that's a little bit of uh, it depends. Um, it's probably going to depend on where they are in the stage of the transaction, how much sort of work and research the client has done, how much they've engaged with our engagement team locally, and, and sort of the complexity. So generally speaking, at some point, our engagement teams will conclude, okay, this is a fairly complex area, or there's going to be a lot of you know, complicated judgments we'll need to make, and that would be an appropriate time to enlist the help of some of the subject matter experts we have. Yeah, and I think, John, you may touch on this a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think in addition to those complex cases, sometimes it can also be a case where the engagement team or the client isn't, it just isn't that familiar. That well, I mean, I, I certainly agree with Pat that right. you know, a lot of the um, source of consultations is uh, new transactions, new gap you know, where the interpretations are just developing in practice. But I would say that it's, it's not uncommon to get a lot of consultations on some standards that have been around for a, uh, you know, quite some time. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is the standards are complicated. Transactions are just commercially complicated. Right. And so applying some of those old standards, you know, requires some judgments. And so, you know, that's a source of... Um, consultations as well. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I was just thinking, you know, I had both of you on before talking about EPS and inventory, and then John Horan talking about foreign exchange. Mm -hmm. And those are all areas where gap hasn't really changed, but the transactions and the business and everything else yeah. is a lot different than when those standards were put into effect. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I call the national office with a question. Then what does that mean? Are there different types of consultations, or can yeah. you just yeah, sure. yeah explain? Uh, you the know, look, types I mean, of the overall goal, yeah. at least the way we approach our mm -hmm. role, is to be helpful and to overall enhance the quality of uh, what our overall practice and engagement teams do. And so, with that goal in mind, we're kind of flexible in terms of the continuum of the types of consultations. Uh, so, you can start off with a really short conversation with an engagement partner that really is looking for us to 
confirm his or her thinking mm -hmm. on a matter, you know, send an engagement team in a particular direction. Sometimes the question is, have you seen or had right. to answer this fact pattern before? So it can be those quick hit kind of items, and, and those can be very helpful. Those are not documented in any formal way. We don't get a detailed look at the underlying facts and, and the like, and so therefore there's not a lot of formality around that. And then you have the variety where it's a, a material transaction. The engagement partner realizes that there are some key judgments that are, that are being made that could go in one direction or another. For whatever reason, they want us to be more deeply involved, and so we do that too. And in those situations, you know, we'll get a detailed understanding of the facts. We will clearly understand the economics. And, you know, the, at the end of that process, it's more formalized. The engagement team will formalize all of that and their conclusion in a memo. The engagement partner will sign the memo and then ASG will sign the memo. And so the, it, it, it goes, you know, from the simple to the, to the real in-depth involvement. And we're also a key part of the firm's quality control infrastructure. Good point. Yeah, and I think the um, this distinction between sort of these um, shorter, we call them informal consultations mm -hmm. versus formal consultations, I mean, largely that's the judgment of our engagement teams to determine, you know, whether this really needs to be um, something that's formal and part of the audit record versus more just, you know, getting some information from us as a resource to help them make their judgments. And we do have a handful of areas where there's um, clearly, you know, more significant consideration where we, by policy, will require them to be formal. So, for example, a preferability letter, if you're going to change your accounting principles, um, you know, that shines a bit more of a spotlight on it, so we'll, we'll require that to be formal. Or if there's a question about whether some prior accounting was actually, in fact, correct, so a potential uh, misstatement, that's, that's one that needs to be formal. But, you know, outside of that, for the most part, it's, it's left to the judgment of the engagement partner. Yeah, so then that's a good segue into sort of the next topic, which is then what happens when we get a question. And I mentioned this to both of you that when I was preparing, I kept thinking about the Wizard of Oz and how Dorothy is trying to find her magic answers and she thinks if she could just get to the wizard and he'll answer it. And there is some mystique to what goes on in the national office. So once we get the phone call, what happens next? Our group in the national office is the accounting services group. We organize ourselves around topical specialties. That's sort of the value we believe we bring to the practice is having some of that deep subject matter expertise. So the first step is sort of identifying, okay, which area is this question in and getting the right subject matter expertise aligned to it. And, you know, sometimes it crosses over, so we'll need to collaborate amongst ourselves. But, you know, first step is just get that team identified. And typically it's a director and a partner, both people with reasonable amount of experience in our practice and with these subjects, we'll get them assigned. They'll have an initial discussion typically with the engagement team to make sure we really have clear understanding of the facts uh, in question. I mean, obviously, sort of our critical first step really is making sure we have an understanding of the underlying economics of the transaction or the arrangement. You know, we sort of operate with a mindset that good financial reporting really should reflect the economic substance of the transaction now. Sometimes there are elements of gap that are a little bit more strict around the form of the transaction, but we want to make sure we're grounded in kind of that understanding of the economics. So that's really, you know, step one, and we do that with the um, engagement team. Then typically what happens is um, there may be some key facts that we think we need to confirm, so the team might need to go back and get some more information. We'll start to do some research into the relevant 
areas of gap. Um, we'll also look at other interpretive positions that have been issued maybe by the other firms, maybe by, by the SEC. We'll also take a look at our archives, anything that we've consulted on formally. We obviously have a, a record of, so we'll try to understand how we've thought through uh, some of these issues in the past. And so we'll, we'll work through all that process. There may be some um, iteration back and forth with the team to get some facts, to share some perspective, but eventually we'll get to kind of a set of alternatives and maybe preliminary point of view, which then obviously we need to calibrate with the team, with the client, and, and make sure we're sort of aligned on facts as well as how we're thinking through the literature. And then, um, you know, really at that point, we're probably getting close to having a landing. And if that aligns with sort of how our client's been thinking about the accounting, we can probably document it and bring it to close. Or we may need to have some further dialogue, maybe perhaps even at times involving the, uh, the client. just depends on the circumstances. I don't disagree with that, but yeah. my overall goal is to make sure Dorothy gets back to Kansas. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Glad to hear that. So, but, you know, I agree with all that. Yeah. And, and when a consultation comes to me, there's a lot of areas of gap that's extremely complicated. And then, as we pointed out, current commercial transactions mm -hmm. just have inherent complexity just to, you know, figure out, you know, what's going on. At our level, I think some of the most difficult things that we're asked to do is evaluate the reasonableness of other people's judgments. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the sort of the guideposts is just because an area requires judgment does not mean anything goes. And there's a difference between well-reasoned judgment mm -hmm. and judgments that are not so. Right. Um, and those are very, very challenging. And making sure that all of the uh, relevant facts have been considered, uh, the facts have been applied um, logically and consistently. And then at the end of the day, as Pat said, is the proposed accounting consistent with the, you know, the overall economics of the mm -hmm. transaction now. Sometimes gap doesn't reconcile, fit, yeah. but, but oftentimes it is a good framework to start with. All right, is the proposed accounting consistent with the economics? And that'll sort of bias, if there's an area of judgment that needs to be made, it'll bias what direction I might go in, mm -hmm. depending upon you know, how it lines up with the, with the economics. Yeah, it's interesting when you were just talking about that, I was thinking, I had an old client, very first issue we dealt with, he gave us a view, I gave my view, and then he didn't like my view. And he said, don't dig in. And you know, he was so worried that I was gonna get so married to my point of view. You never do that. I know, John. <laughs> so anyway, in that case, I persuaded him to my point of view, but I do think it's good advice. I think in you know, all the parties involved, people can get sort of married to one point of view. Mm. Sometimes and once, it gets emotional. Yeah, once you've, yeah. you've done that, it's, it's hard to move off of that. So how do you deal with Well, I mean, you know, I've learned over the years that I don't have all the answers. Right. So I'm open to what others think why they have come up with the approach that they're proposing. And if it's a really challenging issue that we haven't uh, seen in, in the past and we haven't had experience in evaluating you know, those facts and applying whatever accounting model uh, there is to apply in this kind of circumstance, we'll see what, as Pat said, we'll see if the other firms have any literature on it. Oftentimes in these sort of unique situations, you, you don't, yeah, you don't no see it in writing. Right. So, you know, we'll reach out to the other firms, ask them whether they have seen it and what's their perspective and get some input from them. Certainly, we'll talk to the client and make sure we clearly understand mm -hmm. their views right. and, and the reasons for them. You know, at the end of the day, if it's an area of, um, you know, we think the judgment is really significant, the, the difference in the accounting is material, and there's a risk that others could second guess or, you know, 
come to a different uh, conclusion, you know, we'll highly recommend to our client that we'll support their judgment maybe and then, and then pre-clear it with the SEC to make sure, you know, the SEC wouldn't object to the judgments that are being made. Mm -hmm. So it's an interim process. You know, you react to a lot of uh, different um, variables in terms of sending you in certain directions. Right. You know, I think you mentioned that the, the sort of the top, John, that, you know, we're sort of a, uh, an important element of the firm's quality uh, function. I think the other key thing to keep in mind sort of in that context and just sort of these tricky judgments and sort of our judgments, not just anything goes, but reasonable judgments, it's sort of the mindset that I think we have a mutuality of interest with our clients as it relates to our role to provide good, high-quality financial information to the capital markets. And so that's sort of the foundational mindset that we try to come at these with, you know, to sort of balance that bias is like, let's start with that common objective. And certainly, in many cases, our clients are going to be closest to the economics and, you know, really need to make sure we understand how they're thinking about those and take that to heart. I mean, again, we're operating typically in areas where the gap is not going to be that clear. So really making sure right. we, we don't come with those preconceived you know, perhaps biases on, on which way we think it might be applied. And then we, we can compensate with uh, disclosures in those cases where it's um, really challenging or, you know, certainly seek the advice of the SEC as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you guys kind of both touched on this. Pat, you made the point to begin with. Understanding the facts is such a critical piece mm -hmm. because sometimes one missing fact is the difference between, you know, two answers. And I think that's part of this when you said iterative you know, you get more facts, you get more facts, but obviously the more facts you can have to begin with helps. But then I think the other point you're both making is this reasonable judgment, right? So it's not, there's no guidance, I'm gonna do whatever I want, but really step back and look at the transaction. Yeah. So, Pat, John talked a little when he's dealing with a complex issue, you know, how he sort of thinks through it himself, and you were nodding when he was talking, mm -hmm. but anything to add or anything a little bit different that you might consider? Well, I think maybe just to come back to this point on the judgment, because that, that's a challenging one, and especially in some standards. Like, I spend a lot of time in the revenue and the income tax accounting area, and so those are, I'll call them more traditional accounting areas where there's they're not a fair value-based model. They have a lot of sort of entity-specific considerations in them. You know, John tends to deal more in the financial instance know, world. Fair value is he's, the he's almighty. He's suggesting so. that I don't deal in the real world. I know, that's what he's saying, but that's okay. But, but just to sort of draw out this contrast, and so some of the some of the words, like, for example, in the, the income tax accounting realm, when you're thinking about a valuation allowance, and you, you sort of see these words, like, more likely than not, and you think, okay, well, that's sort of a, a judgment, yeah. you know, pretty easy. But then when you really get into the standard, you start to understand that, well, yeah, that's the threshold judgment, but there's a lot of guidance around the evidence that you need to evaluate to apply that threshold. So it's sort of this mm -hmm. evidence-based judgment. Mm -hmm. We get into the revenue space, we see principal versus agent analyses. You know, should I recognize revenue gross or just, you know, my net commission? And that's a very business, business model-specific evaluation, but it needs to all hang together. You know, mm -hmm. it can't just sort of be, well, I feel like... I should be the principal so I, I, I can recognize gross revenue, right? So just really understanding that, yes, there is some judgment, but it needs to be really supported by the evidence. Yeah, it's funny your reference to feel like. I was actually on a call yesterday with the engagement partner, a utility engagement partner, and we were talking about a transaction, and we both felt like something was the right answer, which hopefully we'll get to, but we obviously have to sure. consider the facts and the guidance too. So, uh, so then maybe just to wrap things up today, 
I know there's some best practices that can help anyone resolving an issue. And if someone is coming up with a complex issue, whether it's in the, you know, the angst of trying to wrap up financial reporting or it's in a slower time but it's very complicated, what do you guys recommend? A wise person once said, nothing good ever happened to me at the last minute. Oh, there you go. So, uh, <laughs> Very true. Start early. That's yes. true. Um, yes. In all seriousness, I mean, certainly if you're seeing something that looks like it has the potential to be significant, to be challenging, start early. I mean, the sooner you get that process started, the, the better. I mean, we talked earlier about this sort of iterative process, and I'm sure for some who've been through it, they might feel like, you know, we just keep pulling and pulling, and are we ever going to be be done. I mean, the reality is there are some, you know, critical facts that need to be gathered. And as you get more facts, you may realize there's additional right. gap that needs to be analyzed. So the process can take some time. So certainly getting a head start to the extent you can is, is great. And, and again, coming back to this mutual objective, I mean, we would like to be sort of engaged even in the sort of initial phases of thinking. You know, it's not like we need to have our client's position completely right. fully document and done before we'll engage. I mean, obviously, they have a responsibility to make their own judgments and own them, but we can certainly collaborate mm -hmm. through that process, share perspectives on the applicable gap, make sure we're calibrating. And so that's certainly a best practice. You know, more for our engagement teams, I think, you know, clearly the resource we bring is some special subject matter expertise, but at the end of the day, I think we, we empower our teams to ultimately own the firm's conclusions. And so it's important for them to really engage and own the underlying understanding of the literature and the analysis, right? I mean, we're going to provide a lot of support and resource, but they're the teams that are on the ground close to the facts. It's critical for them to sort of own that. And then um, maybe hearkening back to the timing point, you know, manage the expectations of the other constituencies, you know, the senior management at the client, the audit committee, you know, these processes can, can take time to get them resolved properly. Right. And then finally, you know, make sure you get it documented timely. Yeah, I think probably one of the keys, because I think we've all seen when you document, sometimes things look a little different than people understood. It's definitely critical. John, Yes, anything? when you see something in writing, sometimes yes. it just looks different than yeah. when you just, uh, when exactly. it's just described verbally. And, you know, the difference between a consultation that is owned by the engagement team where the engagement partner and the engagement team have evaluated the, the facts and have come up with their own well-thought-out point of view is a far different consultation than when the opposite occurs. Well, good. Gentlemen, thank you both for coming in. I know it's a very busy time for you, but some great insights and really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having us, Heather. If you liked hearing from Pat and John, then check out their podcasts on inventory, contingencies, and EPS. It's great content as you're wrapping up your financial statements. Please join me here again next Tuesday when we look outside the U.S. to the global standard setters with a focus on the IASB. And even if you're just a U.S. GAAP reporter, understanding better how the IASB works and how they relate to the FASB will help you as you look at the future of financial reporting. So that you never miss an episode, subscribe to this series wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'd love to hear from you. So write to me at heather.horn at pwc.com or to stay up to date on the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. 
PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.